you please open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 6? Mark chapter 6, we're going to be reading verses 7 through 13 this morning. The verses will be on your screen if you do not have a Bible with you. Mark 6, beginning at verse number 7, please follow along as I read. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Lord, we ask your blessing upon this reading of your word. Father, we ask that your spirit will come now as he is already here. We sense his presence. And open our eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ in the pages of scripture. In his name we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Today, today we gather with Christians all around the world to celebrate Palm Sunday. We've made that clear already. The beginning of the last week of the life of Christ here on earth, which began with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Even this morning I was reminded of the gospel of the donkey. He rode in on this donkey and crowds of people spread out their cloaks around the road. They spread palm branches along the road to honor this king who was without a crown. And Jesus had come to our world on mission. A mission of mercy. A mission of redemption. And what the Christian church celebrates as Holy Week marks the completion of that mission. But this morning, I want us to press pause on Palm Sunday and to back up from that final week of his life just a little over a year and see in our passage this morning from Mark chapter 6 an important turning point in the ministry of Jesus as his mission became the mission of his disciples. And friends, there is an obvious implication here in the verses we just read. There is an obvious implication in the events that Holy Week represent and mark for us. And it is that Jesus came into this world and he now sends his disciples into this world because the world is lost. 
The world desperately needs to hear the saving message of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And God has chosen in His grace, in His mercy, in His wise, sovereign providence, God has chosen to use people to reach people. Indeed, Jesus Christ was incarnate in human flesh, came to our earth, lived among us as one of us. And so this is why when we read further in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul in Romans 10, 14, he says, How are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And so what Paul describes in Romans 10 is exactly what Jesus did in Mark 6. He sent 12 men that he called as disciples. Now he commissioned them as his representatives to go out in his name. Jesus had come into this world to save sinners. And now his mission was the mission of the disciples And friends, through the Great Commission in Matthew 28, we spent months reading it as our benediction at the end of our service. Go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Remember that? Through the Great Commission, the mission of Jesus is our mission as well. And so in this passage from Mark 6, the first thing I want us to, to notice is that the gospel mission is given and empowered by Christ. Verse 7 says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. For over, over two years now, Jesus had preached the gospel of the kingdom. He healed the sick. He delivered those who were oppressed by the devil in spectacular fashion. But now, the ministry of one would become the ministry of twelve, and he would share his mission, his ministry with his disciples. Now they just saw, think about the context here. Think of last week. They just saw Jesus rejected in staggering unbelief in his hometown of Nazareth. They saw him leave Nazareth and go out into the surrounding villages. And now he was calling and commissioning them to go in his name. This was a direct fulfillment of what Mark wrote in chapter 3 verse 14 when he says, that Jesus appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. That's Mark 3. And Jesus is fulfilling that in Mark 6. The saving, healing, delivering ministry of the Messiah, the incarnate, eternal Son of God, would now be shared with 12 ordinary men. Think about that. 
Just ordinary men, fishermen, tax collectors, a couple of hot-headed brothers, right? The sons of thunder. And this was the intention of the Lord all alone. And the apostles' mission that he commissioned them out on was his, not theirs. It was his mission. He was sharing this ministry with them. And Matthew's version of the, the account fills in some of the details that Mark leaves out. Matthew 10, 7 says that Jesus said to them, Proclaim or preach as you go. I don't want you to think that preaching is the only way to share the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. But the word there in Matthew 10 says, Proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark 1.14 says this, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. He was preaching. Jesus was a preacher. Verse 15, Mark 1 saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so now he sends his disciples, his 12 inner disciples. So there was a larger group of disciples. At one point there were 70 mentioned. And then there's 12. And then inside of that there's even three really close inner circle disciples. But this time he's sending out the twelve, by the way, which included the betrayer, Judas Iscariot. He sends them out, not on their own mission, but on his mission. With his message, not their message. They didn't go preaching their own philosophy, their own worldview, their own gospel. They didn't try to build their own brand. They did what every preacher and what every Christian is supposed to be doing. They pointed lost sinners to Christ. And friends, this is where I fear in the church today we have lost our way. We are no longer pointing Sinners to Jesus Christ. So many churches, so many preachers, so many ministries, and the Christians that are a part of them in our day are proclaiming their own message. They're on their own mission instead of Christ's mission. And friends, we don't have the liberty to change or refocus the message, or the mission. We are to proclaim, whether in a pulpit or on a street corner or in the backyard behind a dying fire on a late Saturday night or in a coffee house, we are to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Not our own message. We are to proclaim that all men, women, boys and girls are sinners under the just wrath and condemnation of a holy God. And unless we repent, we will.
will all perish. Jesus said these things. But right now in the American church, we are being infected, even consumed, dear brothers and sisters, by another gospel. Our Sunday, my Sunday school class, I'm filling in for Vaughn this morning. They got a taste of this. I hope it scared them to death. We are being infected and consumed by another gospel, a gospel that is as insidious as it is antichrist. And friends, I am talking about the new woke gospel of social justice that replaces the finished and sufficient work of Christ with man-centered racist ideologies that teach us to see the world very literally, friends, in black, white, and brown. The church has forsaken the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it has gone astray with this new woke mission of a Christless Social justice gospel. Consider this recent quote by Dr. Dr. Anthony Bradley, a professor of religion at King's College in New York and a theologian in residence. I don't even know what that means. Theologian in residence at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. In a post online just a few days ago, he said this, quote, We know from church history that Christianity will never be able to advance racial solidarity in America. It never has in U.S. history and never will. It's going to have to be politics and economics. I want to read that again for our brothers and sisters here today. Dr. Anthony Bradley, we know from church history that Christianity will never be able to advance racial solidarity in America. It never has in U.S. history and never will. It's going to have to be politics and economics. Friends, this is the kind of woke social justice gospel coming out of the mouths of mainstream evangelical leaders today, and it is dividing the church like never before. By the way, this Redeemer Presbyterian is the Redeemer Presbyterian church where Tim Keller was the founding pastor. And friends, Tim Keller has subtly become one of the leading voices on this new woke mission. Look around you this morning, friends. I was just telling our, our Sunday school class this morning at Park Bible, we are blessed. We are a predominantly white, Anglo, whatever you want to call us, I don't know, church. But look around. Everyone is welcome here. We do not judge you by the color of your skin, whether you are a black American or whether you're a white American or anything in between. 
We preach Christ in this church. And if you will come underneath that banner, I don't care what you are. Jesus did not send His disciples on a social justice mission. He didn't tell them to preach critical race theory. He told them to preach repentance. And the church is off mission today because the church is preaching another message. We're distracted by all this other stuff. Meanwhile, genuine believers are struggling to find churches where the gospel of Jesus is preached plain and simple without all this man-centered philosophy and all this entertainment. Friends, there are believers everywhere crying out for someone, somewhere to just give me Jesus. They just want Jesus. They don't want equality. They don't care about all that. They don't, want, they don't want to talk about inclusion, affirmation. They don't want to talk about reparations. They don't want to talk about entertainment. They want Jesus Christ and Him alone because by God's sovereign grace, they know that He is the only hope for a lost and dying world. But we've got theologians in residence in the church today saying no. Jesus, the gospel, is not enough. It's going to take economics and politics to bring justice, equality, and reconciliation. Friends, I wonder, have they ever read Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus? Where he said that Christ has removed the dividing wall between us. He has torn it down. We are one new man in Jesus Christ. There is neither Jew, nor Greek, nor nor male, nor female, nor white, nor black, nor whatever, brown, red, green. There is none. Christ is all. That is what we need to preach. That is what He sent His disciples to. That is the message He empowered in their ministry. Oh, may every gospel that attempts to dethrone the Lord Jesus Christ be damned forever to hell. Friends, don't drink the Kool-Aid of false gospels. Don't do it. Don't be taken captive by the philosophies of fallible, fallen men like Dr. Bradley, like Dr. Keller, like so many others in the church promoting this new woke gospel. Friends, it is, it is a threat. It's not a th- We're not talking about white supremacy. We're talking about a threat to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power of the blood of Jesus to break every division, to demolish, destroy so that we can look at people who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, who don't see the world like us, and we can hug them because Jesus Christ has destroyed the dividing wall. Friends, this is the only message that Christ will empower, and I know that Mark 6 is not a, it's not a racial reconciliation text, but oh friends, it is. 
Jesus came to reconcile not only man to God, but man to man. And so He charges us, He charges His disciples. The same mission. Sends them out. Mark says He sends them out two by two. Why? Why two by two? What? In Jewish culture, at least two witnesses were needed to confirm anything. You, you couldn't just make a claim. It seems like you can today and get something canceled. It requires at least two witnesses. This was protection. This was their accountability. This was a way to authenticate the message. He sends them two by two and then He gives them His authority. He gave them authority over what? Unclean spirits. You know, when you read Mark, circle that word unclean every time you... It's a favorite word of Mark. Unclean spirits, demons, all the legions of hell. And they were able to heal the sick through Christ. They were able to cast out devils through Christ. Christ was the center. He was the focus of this short term, a mission trip, if you would. His power, His authority, His message, His person, it fueled their ministry. And so my question for us here this morning, friends, is what mission is this church on? Are we trying to build our own brand? If it is, it's going to be one of those generic store brands. Are we going to be infected by man-centered gospels and lose the gospel, the only message that can save? No. May it never be so here at this church. May we never lose the message. May we never get off mission. Seventy what? Seventy years now? Elisa? Seven? Seventy-one? Seventy-one years. We're not going to get off mission at this church. Secondly, in this passage, the gospel mission requires urgent faith. Look at verse number 8. Mark says, Jesus charged them to take nothing for their journey, except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. There's some language here, you know, we're unfamiliar with because of the cultural gap that's between 1st century Israel and 21st century America. But you may remember a few weeks ago when we were working through Mark chapter 5 and we had this, this apologetics issue. By apologetics, I mean a defense of the faith, something in the text that seemed to be a little off. When we talked about the man called Legion and we came back on Sunday night to discuss that, Friends, there is another apologetics issue in Mark 6, I think even a more significant one. In verses 8 and 9, where Mark seems to be saying something completely different, even contrary to what Matthew and Luke say. And we're going to deal with that one like we did before, on a Sunday night, but not tonight. 
because we're not having service. We will return to Mark 6 in the near future after Easter and deal with this apologetics issue, which you may not even be aware of right now. It's there. Trust me, the skeptics know it. They've, they've got an entry on their little skeptics annotated Bible online in Mark 6. I want you to be informed. But this morning, I, I want us to focus from this passage, this verse 8 and 9, on the urgency of Christ's instructions to His disciples. He's saying, He's, tell, he, he's looking at His 12, and He says, You're going out on a mission. I'm sending you out in my name, but don't waste time getting clothes. Don't pack a bag. Don't get supplies. Don't get food. Don't worry about getting together a bunch of money for the road. Don't go by the ATM and pull out some cash. You see, first century Greek philosophers would travel around itinerantly, itinerantly like this. They would carry a money bag and they would beg for the charity of others while they philosophized. While they taught. And Jesus says, I don't even want you to carry a money bag. Just go. Now. And the implication here in the text, friends, is that God will provide for their needs. This isn't Jesus teaching His disciples to be reckless and unprepared. It's Him teaching them to recognize the urgency of the mission and to trust in God. Friends, do we feel the urgency of the gospel mission this morning? Or are we too content in our comfortable American lives to notice that every person who comes across our path every week, every day, is a person with an eternal soul who will face a holy God on that great and final day of judgment? Every single one that we see, you and me this morning, we're going to stand before an infinitely holy God. Are we too busy to share the gospel of Jesus with our family and with our neighbors? Do we feel the weight of this mission? Is there a fire that burns in our souls for the lost? I worry sometimes about us about myself most of all. And we're a little too comfortable just coming to church and having these great Christ-exalting services, gospel-drenched, word-saturated. We sing the word, we pray the word, we preach the word, we give the word, we fellowship the word. But we don't take the word beyond the doors of this building. Friends, we have a mission. It is given to us by Christ. It is empowered by Christ and it requires urgent faith. We need to feel it this morning. We don't have to wait until we get everything just right in this church to get out there and go, we don't have to wait 
until we change the windows or change the color of the carpet or get the roof fixed. Well, somebody might come and they might look around and say, well, I don't want to be here. No, friends, we go. We compel them to come in. We don't have to wait until we've got all the best ministries and the flashiest website and the best... By the way, our website's pretty good, by the way, just in case you're wondering. (laughs) We don't have to wait until we get the best presentation possible to, to invite someone. We've got something better than all that, friends. We've got a risen Jesus. We've got a Savior that the needy, dying, lost people that we encounter every single day of our lives, they can encounter Him right here. But not only here. They can encounter this risen Jesus out there. They can encounter Him in your homes, around your dinner table, friends, in the backyard, around the campfire, at the playground, with your kids, on the job, at your school. Friends, don't let COVID disrupt the mission. Everywhere you go, you, me, we're on mission. So go in faith and find a way to get the message out there. This past Thursday, this past Thursday evening uh, on, on, our, on our date night, my wife and I we went to dinner. And on the way there, we saw a we saw a poor, disfigured man. I don't know what happened. It looked like his face had been burned. He was at a stoplight. You know, you've seen. Begging, his cardboard sign. The sign said that he was a veteran. I don't know who he was. But I gave him... Five dollars and a gospel track. It's called the Doors of the Bible. We have them out there on the table. Take them. We put that stuff out there for you. I want to have to. I want to have to put a line item in our budget for gospel tracks. Take them. Give them out. We have it on the table, friends. We gave it to him, and this man immediately. My wife is. is the witness of two. My wife is a witness. This man went immediately back to his corner. We were surrounded by cars. He didn't go peddling these other cars for money. He went back to his corner. He counted his $5. And then he opened that trap. And he started reading it. And he read it. As frozen in time almost it seemed. From the time that we, stood, we gave him the trap. Until we drove off and he was looked back, he's still reading it. We had no, I told my wife as we were driving off, I said, we, we're about to go to a dinner at a fancy restaurant and plop down 50 bucks on a meal. And this man is at the corner with a face disfigured, skinny as a rail. Encountering the risen Jesus through a tract. I said, we, we may, I told my wife, I said, we may see that man 
in heaven. Friends, pray that God's word was sown in his heart and that fruit will come. There have been times, and I know, you know, these guys stand on the street corner, they get bad reputations. I don't know. When we lived in North Carolina, in Charlotte, there were people standing on the corners all the time, and they would, you know, the local TV station did an expose on them. And they said, some of these guys make $30,000, $35,000, $40,000 a year just peddling money on the street corner. I, have, I don't care. I know this, there have been times, in fact, when we've gone out on date night, I've actually got out of the car and talked to these people. Usually while my wife was shopping. I had time to do stuff because I'm, you know, I don't, I don't get thrilled at Kohl's. Don't underestimate the power of the gospel. Friends, we are on mission, and we've got to go. We've got to go. We don't, it don't matter. Don't worry about dinner, about lunch, about the movies, about bowling, about skiing, about all the stuff we get consumed with. We are on mission. The world is our mission field. Your street is your mission field. <laughs> your family, your home is your mission field. Start sowing the seed, and God will give the increase. Lastly, I know I'm, I'm going. Lastly, in this passage, we see Jesus teach this profoundly heavy reality. The gospel mission will be rejected. Verse 10. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. I don't know about you, but I, I hate feeling rejected. I'm in like a ministry, so I stand before people on a regular basis. They either like me or they don't. It's difficult. I can tell you this, I remember being in the 11th grade. I had a crush on a girl, her name was Dana. My wife, I don't even think my wife knows this. So I'm, you know, I may need to come to your, somebody give me a room tonight. I, I had a crush on a girl, her name was Dana. And I had talked myself up enough to ask this girl out on a date. I was outside of the band room, I was in the band like trumpet. I was outside the band room. She was in the band. She played clarinet. And I called her one day walking right outside the band room and spent weeks talking myself up. I asked her, I said, well, you know, would you go out with me? And she just flat said no and just kept walking. <laughs> Friends, I can still remember the feeling in my stomach when it dropped to the floor that she didn't even give me the time of day. It was awful. Rejection is a terrible, terrible feeling. I guess I should be happy because when I asked my wife to marry me, you know what she said? I guess so. True story. 
Rejection is miserable. Jesus knew rejection, friends. <laughs> Imagine the heart of Jesus after being rejected by his hometown of Nazareth. Imagine the grief that he would later feel a little bit later in his ministry. In Matthew 23, as he looked over Jerusalem, and he wept. And he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers their, her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. He knew rejection. And so he prepared his disciples for it. He said, When a place rejects you, you shake the dust off of your feet when you leave. You see, many Jews, when they traveled, again, this is one of these language barriers that we have. Many Jews, when they traveled, they, when they traveled to Gentile cities or Gentile lands, they would, when they came back home, they would shake the dust off of their feet. Number one, to not bring Gentile defilement back into the Holy Land. And number two, as a sign of God's judgment. Shake the dust. This is what Jesus is telling His disciples to do on their ministry, on their mission. They should expect to be rejected. Friends, when you go out with Jesus' name on your lips, expect to be rejected. John 15, 18, Jesus says this to His disciples shortly before, this is the upper room discourse, right? Shortly before, this is Thursday of, of Passover week, of Holy Week. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The Apostle John, one of the very ones sent out on this exact mission, near the end of his own life, in 1 John 3.13, he wrote this, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And church, that's what I want to tell you this morning. Our message, which is not ours, is Christ. It will be rejected. Remember, they're rejecting Christ first. There will be people who shake their heads at you in unbelief. There will be people who scoff at you and who call you names. Some of these people may even be our own. Because get this, friends, this mission that Jesus sent these 12 men on was not to unbelieving Gentiles. <laughs> it was to the Jews. Matthew 10, 6 says that this mission was to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It was to their own, and their own would reject them. We shouldn't be surprised. John 1, 11, Jesus came to His own, and His own received Him not. Brothers and sisters, do not be surprised when your family turns its back on you for the sake of Christ. You be clear. You be direct with them. And then you shake the dust off of your feet and pray that the terror of God's holiness will grip them and weigh upon them so heavy until they run to the cross of Jesus and say, Save me, Lord.
Now having been called and empowered to this mission and prepared for rejection, verse 12, the disciples go out and they proclaimed exactly what Jesus told them, that people should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They did exactly what they were told to do. Jesus did exactly what he said he would do for them. He gave them extraordinary power to preach an extraordinary message that causes extraordinary transformation. What about us? Are we joining the mission? Are we empowered by Christ? Are we prepared for rejection? The sting of rejection. Do we understand why Christ sends His people on mission to begin with? Because the world, as we said earlier, is lost. It is dying. It is undone in unbelief. This is Palm Sunday. This marks the beginning of the last week of Christ's life on earth. His mission was almost complete. And so he set his face toward Jerusalem, knowing the great and final rejection that would end with his hands, holy hands and feet, nailed, pierced to a cross. He would be punished for sins that were not his own. Friends, I want to invite you this week to go on that last journey of Christ's mission with us here at Park Bible. Good Friday, Sunday, Easter Sunday morning. Let's see Him complete His mission. And Maybe you're here this morning and you've completely missed the reality that His mission was for you. He came into this world to save sinners. And friends, that's what we are. And if you have never forsaken your sin and trusted in Christ, don't wait until Good Friday. Don't wait until, uh, until Easter Sunday when all our emotions are just running wild and high. Run to Christ today. He will save you today right where you are. Cry out in repentance. Leave your own goodness. Leave your own righteousness and believe on Him. Let's pray. Father, we have said many things this morning. I pray that they all have glorified Your Son. And most of all, use these final minutes of this service and the conversations that will be subsequent in our fellowship hall. Use these moments to strengthen your people and to call lost sinners to your Son. We leave it with you, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.